Well, good morning. Some years ago, I was in a group of, uh, of people, and really it was a group of pastors and missionaries, if you can imagine that. There was at least 30 of us, and we're together. You got pastors and missionaries, and we were all about the same age. We were relatively young, and there was a man that was teaching us. He was speaking to us, and, and he was twice our age, and we were talking about God's sovereignty, about God's control, about His power. And one of the girls, I say a girl, you know, young, one of the girls raises her hand, she's a missionary, and almost begins to cry with tears in her eyes, say, why should we pray? Why pray at all then? And you know, there's pastors in the room, so some of us were like snickering, like, oh, why pray? Why? Yeah, why should we pray? You know, it's one of those moments. We had to admit, why pray? You know, you can look out into creation. You can look out into what God has done. You can look at the stars and the moon and the, the universe, the galaxies, and you can look at the trees and the animals and the birds and the fish and the ocean, and you can see all that God has made. And it's, it's not difficult to imagine how powerful God is, how great He is. You see everything and you think, wow, you know, God has done so. How powerful is God? And then you read the scriptures and you read how God knows the beginning from the end. He knows the future. He knows what's going to happen. And he can intervene. He can actually work and step in and he does. And he, he intervenes and he does things. And you can get to a point where you can imagine this great power and influence. But it just brings up this question of, then why pray? Why ask God to do anything if what's going to happen is already going to happen? Or if he's going to do what he's going to do? Or... You know, why pray at all? And this morning, I want to look at that because it's part of the series. We, we began a series in, in October, we, we was the last time. We, we looked at this series of discovering Jesus, of looking at who Jesus is in the scriptures. And, and, and then Nathan, back in, I think in January, he, he, preached, on, uh, he preached in this series and he, he mentioned our, our last passage and we looked at the life of Jesus and we just examined, how did Jesus live? How did Jesus do what Jesus did? And, and in this passage, we, we got to Mark chapter 1 and where Nathan left off that, that Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, where, where he takes care of her, she's sick, and he comes to their aid. And, and if you've ever had a mother-in-law, you know how beneficial this is, you know. And so Peter is, you know, going on mission with him, and he's like, well, you know, you, you got to help mama. And, and Jesus heals her, and he's in Capernaum. It's not a small town. It's a, it's a rather large town. And he's doing this great ministry. And in verse 32 of Mark chapter 1, it says that that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. So Jesus had just healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. He's in this town, you know, working miracles. And because it's Saturday, because it's a Sabbath in that day, they had to wait for the sun to go down for the next day to come because you can't travel far on the Sabbath. You're not allowed to go very far. And the Jewish custom is on Saturday, you had to wait until the sun was going down and you could see three stars in the sky. And if you could see three shining stars in the sky, then that counts as sundown because they're very legalistic. You had to have a, a, a clear line and a measure. And so then the next day started because in the Jewish custom, 
Days were evening and morning, like in Genesis chapter 1. That's where they get their, their days. Our days start in the morning and then evening, but not the Jewish custom. So that evening at sundown, once they were not forbidden by the law to come, to travel, to go, and to be healed, they all rushed the house, and they all came to where Jesus was, and they wanted to be healed. And we learn in that one instant, I'll, I'll, I'll continue reading verse 33, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases, and cast out many demons and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And so Jesus is doing his ministry. And this is really a long night of ministry. Imagine if you had to wait for the sun to go down, for it to finally be evening time. When, you're, when you want to get ready for bed, that's when the action starts. Anybody on night shift probably feels this way. You know what this is like. Your day begins at night. Jesus began healing everybody in that town, anybody with sickness. They, they came from all over the place because they wanted to be healed by him. And from that one story, we learn that Jesus cares about our affliction. He cares about what is ailing us. He knows what our sicknesses is. He knows what our weaknesses are. He knows the demon oppression that's going on. And he not only cares about our affliction, but he has the power to heal our affliction. In that one story, you, Jesus can cast out demons. He can heal. And even better than that, toward the end of that passage, the way that everybody hears about him, and he didn't want the demons to witness about him, he wanted the people to witness which means that Jesus can use our afflictions as a testimony and a witness of his goodness. That Jesus not only cares and can heal, but he uses our afflictions for his good. And so Jesus is starting this ministry, he's doing all this work, and then something happens that we all should but wouldn't expect. Jesus leaves. He skips town. Early in the morning, I'll, I'll, I'll read it to you in Mark chapter 32, in rising Early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. He leaves his disciples, he leaves the campground, he moves away from them. And this was difficult to do. Why? Because if you're working all night, what's the last thing you want to do in the morning? Wake up early, right? If, if he were like us, he'd be like, I'm going to wait till 10 a.m. to wake up. You know, I'm going to wait till I can have my coffee, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to sleep in. I've just been working all night. Have you ever cast out a demon? It's tiring. It's emotionally and spiritually exhausting. Have you ever healed somebody? Have you ever prayed and God manifested His Spirit through you and helped somebody and answered prayer? Not one person, not two people, not three people. The picture is a whole town, many people, all shapes and sizes and ages and stages of life. They're all coming to him. They all have their own needs. They all have names. He's learning who they are. That's taxing. If he were like us, you need rest, Jesus. You, you need to sleep in. You need to take the next day off. But is that what he does? No. Before the sun even comes up, while it's still dark, he gets up, rising very early in the morning while it's still dark, and he goes off into a desolate place, and there he prays. And what we learn about Jesus all throughout the Gospels is he had a habit of going off and being alone and talking with God, of having a conversation with him, of using that time. Instead of sleeping and taking a nap, he used his time with talking with God to renew his strength. And this is a habit for him. Two years ago or three years ago, we started 
this idea. We wanted to begin with habits of grace. We wanted as a church family to instill habits in our lives that would help us to receive God's grace and grow in, in stature and favor with God and with men. We, we wanted to grow spiritually. And so we began every year in the month of January, we have a series of habits of grace. In 2019, we started our first one, and it was about prayer. We wanted to have a habit as a church family of praying, of not just going off a prayer list, but actually talking with God. And so we had a whole series about this, and we brought in the Praying Life Seminar, and, and we, we wanted for our people to learn and to grow what it means to really talk with God and have a conversation. And we wanted it to be our habit because it was Jesus' habit. This is what Jesus did. This is what God the Son did. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, but Jesus would often, that word often means regularly. This was a regular part of his, his habit, his lifestyle. But Jesus would often withdraw, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Uh, back to verse 35 in Mark 1. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he would wake up early. He would wake up when it was inconvenient. He departed and went out to a desolate place. That idea of desolate means he wanted to go where he would be undistracted and undisturbed. He didn't want, you know, if, for translation for our day, he, he put his phone on silent, on airplane mode. There was no pinging. There was no notification. He wasn't, he wasn't accessible. He would close the door. He would be by himself. He wanted to go to a place where he wouldn't be interrupted or distracted. And that's his regular habit. That's how he connected with God. But he didn't just pray in the morning. You know, some people say, just pray in the morning. I say do both. He prayed in the evening in Matthew chapter 14, verse 23. And after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone, even at night. And, and, and if you notice his pattern, when Jesus did ministry, immediately after ministry, what would he do? Would he have his favorite meal? Would he take a nap? Would he sleep? No, he would go and pray. He had a lifestyle of prayer. His idea of restoration was talking with God. Listen to what he said in Matthew chapter 6 in the, in the Sermon on the Mount the, the, in the Beatitudes. But when you pray, go into your room and shut your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. That idea of being alone. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let me ask you, what does your prayer life look like? What do you do when you feel exhausted, when you feel tired, when you feel worn out, when you feel emotionally spent? I know what some of us do, and I'm guilty of this. Isn't it better to binge watch your favorite show? Watch a movie? To eat ramen at 10 o'clock at night? Right? That's not good for anyone. We all know. We all know that's bad. Well, how fun is it, right? Don't, when you feel tired and exhausted, don't you want to just feed your tired and exhausted flesh? I do. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus knew not to feed his flesh. He knew that for him to be renewed, for his strength to be renewed, he had to go to a place of focus and quiet. What did Jesus... Uh, he, God used Jesus' prayer time to renew his strength, which means for us, what we see in the habit of Jesus' life is God uses prayer to renew our strength. That's the lesson. That's the idea. God uses your prayer time, your isolated, I'm just going to talk with God, to renew you, to give you a new supernatural strength to renew you spiritually. Think about what Jesus told his disciples on the night of his betrayal and arrest. He has the Last Supper 
Judas betrays him. He leaves. They're singing songs. I think the Psalms, because that's what they normally did before the Passover. They're singing this scripture. And then he gets to a point where they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he goes off to pray because he, the scripture said he was very troubled. He was distressed. And Matthew chapter 26, verse 40, And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Peter, why did you go to sleep? Now, if I were Peter, I would have many excuses at this point. Jesus, we've been working all day. It's the day before the Passover. We had a dinner with you. You scared us. Like, you washed our feet. We had all this time talking. It wasn't a short, brief time. Then Judas left. We've been here. It's the middle of the night. What do you mean, how come you're sleeping? I'm sleeping because I'm tired. I'm sleeping because I'm sleepy. Some, some of you are sleeping right now. Right? You're tired. But what is Jesus' response? Why didn't you stay awake? Now listen to this. I want you to connect it. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now let me ask you a question. When you're weak, what is your natural response? Eating and sleeping. What did Jesus do? He fasted and he prayed. When your flesh is weak, you think, let me fill up the tank. I know what this body needs. It, it needs a lot of food. My, I, I'd give my body too much food. But I, I know what this body needs. And Jesus gives this, this polarized idea, this, this, this paradigm shift for them. What you think is going to help you when you're weak is the wrong idea. What you need to do is Pray. Pray so that your spirit is strong, so that you're inside because temptations are going to come. And even if your spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. If you want to overcome the flesh, don't feed it. Pray. Stop and pray. When we pray, we're connected with God in a supernatural way. In in John chapter 19, Jesus illustrates this of how important it is to stay connected with God relationally. In John 15 verse 4, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Jesus gives this illustration. This is simple. This is one you've all heard, but let me just ask a simple question. What happens to a branch when it's cut off and disconnected from the vine or a tree? What happens to the branch? It withers up, it dries up, it dies. Now, what do you think Jesus is trying to tell you about you? What happens when you're disconnected? What happens when you're not connected and you're not abiding? Abiding means that you are remaining with Him and you're connecting with Him and you're praying. Abiding is about praying, is about talking with Him. When we get alone to God, when we get alone with God, a supernatural strengthening takes place. I want to give you another example, and you won't get it till the end. I know it's a weird story. I can't explain the whole story, but just stick with me. In Mark chapter 9, verses 25 to 29. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, now an unclean spirit is a demon. So there's this crowd, and they're running to him, and part of the crowd, there's a demon-possessed man. And saying to it, he says, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, 
He's dead. He's dead. That kid is dead. There's no way. Verse 27, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. What a wonderful picture. Some of us knows what this feels like. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up knowing the truth. I was old enough to remember. I knew what it was like when Jesus said, you guys leave him alone. And he lifted me up and I rose for the first time. I remember what that was like. Such a beautiful picture of Jesus. But, but listen what happens when the disciples see this miraculous work. It says, and when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately. Jesus performs this wonderful miracle and the disciples are like, I don't know. I just don't know. They wait till they can get alone with him. They do this a lot. They're in the house. They're closer together. Not everybody's listening. Psst, Jesus. Okay, can, can you just help us out? How come we couldn't do that? We had been talking with this crowd before. We were trying to minister to this God. How come we couldn't do what you did? Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. You can only do this through prayer. Now, let me ask you a question that you may have never asked before. If you go back to the previous slide in verse 25, did Jesus pray before he did this? Let me just go through the story. And when Jesus saw the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Quick question. Did Jesus pray before he performed this miracle? No. So when Jesus tells his disciples, and Jesus is a master teacher, he knows they're like all eyes on Jesus. They're all about it. Hey, this isn't going to happen unless by prayer. You know what's going through their mind? Well, he didn't pray right before, which means what he's talking about is a lifestyle of prayer. What Jesus is saying is, if you want to be spiritually strong and be able to face spiritual warfare, if you want to be able to, to, to defend yourself from what's out there, you've got to be a person, a man, a woman of prayer. Are you a person of prayer? Are you one of those people that it doesn't matter how, when you're tired, especially you pray. You wake up before the sun comes up. You wake up before your kids wake up. You, you, you figure out time in the evening. You get alone to pray because for you to renew your strength, to be spiritually strong, to be and to do what God has called you to do, you know there's only one way and you've got to pray. You've got to have a conversation with God. You've got to talk with Him. Many people think of prayer as a one-way street. They, they think of prayer as, this is a one-way street, this is me talking to him. And if, you're, if you've been in church for a while, you think, I know the other one-way street. The other way, one-way street is reading scripture. That's when God comes the other direction and speaks to you. In their mind, they think of there's two one-way streets with God. One is prayer that's going to him, the other is Bible reading. And the Bible doesn't speak of it that way. The Bible speaks of prayer as a two-way street. As when you pour out your heart to him, supernaturally, he fills you up. Think of it like an oil change. Uh, some people get oil changes every three months, and I know some of you don't. But we're supposed to, right? We're most of the time. So you've got to get your oil change. Have you ever gotten your oil change and they showed you the oil, what it looked like after you may have taken five months to bring it in? And it looks goopy and dark and nasty and dirty, and you're like, I doubt that was making things smooth, right? Like, you, you know that wasn't right. When you pray, it's almost like an oil change. You give God all your used up, dirty oil, and then he refills you with clean, pure oil. There's this supernatural strengthening. God uses prayer to renew your strength. 
It's like an oil change, if, if you know what an oil change is. So, he uses prayer to renew our strength. Also, he uses prayer to enrich our relationship. He uses prayer to deepen our bond with him. You know, prayer is a conversation. It's when you talk with God. And, and I want you to think, what's one of the strongest relationships you know of? Just think, what, what's one of the strongest relationships you know? If you're older and you've been married to someone for decades, you might think of your relationship with them. But what's the strongest relationship you know of? I bet you in that relationship, you can look at that person and before they say a word, you know what they're thinking. You can just look at them and say, I know what's going through his mind. I can't tell you how many wives. I've, I've been around a wife and a husband, and before the husband even says anything, she, she already knows. She knows what he's going to say. She knows exactly what's about to happen. Are you psychic? Are you a prophetess? No, you're married. That's all. You know this person. You have, an, you have a rich, deep relationship. That kind of relationship takes time. It takes conversations. It takes repetition. It takes being together in the highs and the lows. It takes this interaction. Let me ask you, are you interacting with God in that way? That through your prayer time with him, through connecting with him, you, you already know what he's going to say. You know that he's listening to you. You know that he cares for you, and that's why you cast your cares on him, because he cares for you. You bring him all your anxieties. You trust that eventually, at the right time, he is going to give me a peace that passes understanding, because this isn't my first rodeo. I've been here before. I've done this with him. I know what he's like. I've seen him work. I've read in the scripture. I have a picture of who he is. I have walked with him. God wants to deepen your relationship with him through prayer. He uses prayer to enrich our relationship. And he, and he truly wants it to be rich. Think of it like food. Who wants a bland steak? Have you ever gotten a steak? I've been somewhere one time. My wife's a great cook. And so that's kind of ruined me a little bit from enjoying restaurants. But I, I remember being at a restaurant. It's supposed to have like good steak. It's like a famous chain. And I go there and I get the steak. I cut into it. I put it in my mouth. Disappointment. My heart sunk, you know. I'd be like, Cain, my, why is your countenance fallen? The steak is why my countenance fell. The steak is not flavorful. Anybody want a bland dessert? Has anybody got COVID and then you lost your taste and smell and you tasted something and it just tasted like texture? It just tasted like mush? Who wants that? You want something rich. You want something flavorful. You want something meaningful. You want something enjoyable. And guess what? God wants that with each one of you. God wants a deep, rich, meaningful relationship with you. That will only come through prayer. You have got to get alone with God to talk with Him, to spend maybe two minutes during your prayer time of just silence. Say, God, speak to my heart. I read Scripture first before I pray. I just want to get some of what He's already said going on, and then I just, I just share with Him. I don't always have a list. I don't always have, God, can you do this or do that? Can you fix A or B? Sometimes it's like, God, this is how it's been, and here's what's going on. I'm not even asking him for an answer. I'm just talking with him. That's what God wants prayer to be. He wants it to be a meaningful relationship. He wants to deepen your relationship through it. So God uses prayer to renew our strength and enrich our relationship with him, but he also uses it to reveal his direction. Now, this is how a lot of people think of prayer. Prayer is you leaving the voicemail and then getting an answer. That's how a lot of people feel like prayer is. And it is that way sometimes, where prayer is you asking God for direction and clarity. But the best direction and clarity does not come with a simple answer. It comes through a conversation. It comes through a relationship. 
God uses prayer to reveal his direction. And this is most evident in Mark 1 in our passage. I want to take you back to the passage. In Mark 1, verse 35, And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, now notice this, he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Notice what happens in that story. Jesus goes off and he prays and he's alone and he's alone in the, in the morning. I don't know how long he was there. He was there for quite some time. I mean, they had to go look for him. And they get to him and they say, dude, right? If he's spoken to, did I already mention this, the dude part? No, I didn't mention, okay, in Greek, there's different cases. This would be like Peter going in the vocative case and saying, dude, right, in their language. Everyone's been looking for you. What are you doing? We've, your ministry is just starting. You're finally getting this reputation that we've been waiting. We can start building the empire. Let's do this thing. Why are you? I can't believe you'd leave us. We're your friends. Help me help you. We got to be connected, man. You can't just leave off and be on your own. So Peter's having this moment of, it's finally beginning, and you know what this feels like. Why are you going off by yourself? This is what we need to do. Everyone's looking for you. We've still got some promotion to go. We've still got some, there's more people that are sick. There's more people that are wanting. They're really excited. Let's go feed the crowd. Let's go feed the audience. Let's start. I mean, you can really campaign off of what you did last night. Everyone is looking for you. Now, if he were a normal pastor, if Jesus were a normal pastor, he'd be like, what, you know, what you're saying makes sense. It's just, I'm getting, I need to go have a press conference. I need to go, I need to go back to town. I need to tell them what's going on. We need to get the, we need to get the numbers up. We need, to get the, uh, we need to get people back in us. We need to find out who the big givers are. You know, like if he was like most organizational leadership guys, he'd be like, okay, let's use this. He would be thinking strategy. That's what Peter always thought. Peter was always thinking strategy. What's going to work? What's not going to work? I'm not going to let what's not going to work happen. But Jesus doesn't act like that. Why? Because he prayed. Because he got alone and he prayed. He knew what he was supposed to do. So he tells him, we've got to leave here. We've got to go to other places. Why? For that is why I came out. Jesus knew the next step. He knew what God wanted him to do because he had spent time in prayer. Now, this isn't the only example. One of my favorite examples is in Luke chapter 6, before Jesus picks the the 12 disciples. In Luke 6, 6 verse 12, it says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. So this would be like if a couple of us elders and pastors said, we're going to have a slumber party. And we're going to stay up all night. And we're just going to pray. We're going to sing songs. And we're going to pray over our church. We're going to pray over our community. We're going to pray over Newton. We're going to pray over the schools. We're going to pray over City Hall. And we're just going to spend the whole night praying, God, we need your help. We don't know what to do. We don't have all the answers. We need you. And we just spent all night praying. That's what Jesus did. He spent all night praying. Now, I want you to notice the connection between verse 12 and verse 13. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. When did Jesus know who the 12 disciples were? After he prayed. Now, this brings up a theological question that a lot of people ask, and I want to share with you 
my view, which is a, the majority view of church history. I, this isn't just my view. Jesus was fully God and he was fully human. And according to Philippians chapter 2, even though Jesus was fully God, he did not use all his divine powers and attributes to accomplish the mission. As a matter of fact, the Bible clearly multiple times tells us the opposite, that Jesus emptied himself and although he could know everything, according to Luke chapter 2, verse 52, he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with men. He was tempted. He was hungry. He needed direction. He needed angels to minister him after his 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. And so Jesus was very much 100% human. And even though he could know everything all the time, he chose not to, and he chose to rely in his human form, the direction of the Holy Spirit. That's how he lived. So Jesus... I know everybody, oh, Jesus just knows everything. He just knew everything. He knew everybody's name. He knew everything all the time. He knew everything in the whole universe. And they miss the humanity of Jesus and the whole point of him coming as he did and suffering as he did. Jesus did not know who the 12 disciples were until the Father told him, and he told him through prayer when he was communing with the Holy Spirit and the Father. That's how Jesus knew. And the scriptures are so explicit about this that they even give you Luke 6, 12, and 13. So you see, what did Jesus do? He spent all night praying before he picked the most important men that would be in his life. God uses prayer to direct you, to give you his guidance, to reveal his direction, just like he did with Jesus, God the Son. He used prayer in his life so that he would know what's next, and he revealed it in the Gospels. So that you wouldn't think, well, I can't follow Jesus because he did things that I'll never do, like pray and God tell him what to do which is crazy because that's the whole thing of prayer in the church, is we pray and we ask God, God, fill us, renew us with your strength, enrich in our relationship, and give us direction. Where do we need to go next? What do we need to do? So let me ask you. I want you to stop and just for a moment and think of this question. Is there something that you need God's direction for right now? Anything. Your family, your work, your neighbors, the church, people around you? Is there anything you need God's direction on? Would you go off and be alone and pray and talk with him? Would you spend time today, take away the distractions uninterrupted and say, God, I just want to talk with you. Here's what's happening. As a pastor, I get to counsel with people and I tell them this and I've tried to teach this and this is one of the most hardest lessons to teach because it's hard to communicate unless you know already. Prayer is not thinking about things that are happening. I tell people all the time, you know, I, I do this too. You're driving in the car and you're just mulling over all the problems, right? All the questions of what's happening next with this and family and job and work and, and you think through all the stuff and someone asks you, a Christian asks you, hey, have you prayed about it? No. Of course you're going to lie and say Yes. <laughs> right? Most people do. They just do. I'm not saying that's good or right, just a lot of you do. I know you do. I've done it before. I didn't really truly stop and pray, but I would say, yeah, of course, of course I prayed. And, and what Christians mistakenly think is that if you think about problems and you know God is there, that counts as prayer. That's not prayer. That's like a person talking to themselves and mumbling and the spouse saying, hey, what's, what are you talking about? Oh, nothing. I'm just thinking about whatever. That's called worry. That's called just thinking to yourself. Prayer is not just thinking to yourself. Because if you're in the mindset of talking it over with yourself and thinking, even if you talk out loud in your car, you're not thinking, God, I'm talking to you. I'm, I'm talking to you. So 
thinking about a problem is not the same thing as praying about a problem. Now, you could be thinking about it and praying at the same time too, but prayer is very specific. It's you giving time to say, God, I'm coming to you. I'm talking to you. It's just me and you. I want to bring this before you. That's what prayer is. And God uses prayer to reveal his direction. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach. He, he wants to give it to you. He, he desires to give it to you. We, we seek God in prayer to discover his will. Some people mistakenly think that God is like a con artist on the street. They don't say this, but they live this way. This is the way some people approach God. They go to the booth that's right outside the subway, and the con artist is there with his cups. He's got one red ball. He puts the ball under one of the cups, and then he twists them around, and he says, good luck. If you guess which one it is, I'll bless you. That's what happens. And a lot of people think of God this way. God doesn't want to tell you the truth, and and you pray, but God never gives answers, and you don't know. And mistakenly, we treat God like a con artist on the street where he's just testing us and teasing us. But that's not God's heart, and that's not what he means for prayer. Prayer is where you and God get alone and you say, here's everything that's happening. Here's what's going on. And I trust that you will fill me up, that you will renew my strength, that you will give me direction. I know that the only way that I can do anything is if I'm abiding in you. I get my strength from you. I can do nothing without you. It's that kind of relationship. So, as I prayed for you this week, this was part of my prayer. I'll just share with you a little bit of my prayer for you that are here, you that are watching online, for our community. I've been, I've been really stressed out, and not just for personal reasons. I've been thinking about our economy. I've been thinking about our nation. I've been thinking about the Equality Act and how horrible that is. I've been thinking about what's happening between people in our own church. I've been thinking about polarization and how people, even the church is so divided. You believe this way about mass. No, you believe that way about it. Or you believe this way about politics. Or you better not vote this way or whatever. And people are so divided and I've been anxious over this. And I've had to come to God and say, God, what do we do? There's so much division And you say in the scripture that the only way that you can work is if we're unified. (laughs) If we're unified, that's a joke. How could we ever be unified? Friends that have been friends for decades are divided. How could we as a church that's very diverse, by the way, you are all different. Some of you don't even know how different you are from one another. How can we be unified in Christ? So I've had to give this to God and say, God, I know, I know that if we're going to you in prayer, that you will do a supernatural work in our hearts. And that without our own power and not in our own wisdom, you will build your church. You will bring unity, even if we're diverse. You will allow us to say, I respect you and I know that you you don't agree with me in this way, but we've got a mission and a king and a kingdom. There are people that are lost. I love you. I want to work with you still, even though you're very different than me. I'm not going to judge you and criticize you and outcast you because you're different. Only God can do that kind of work within us. So my prayer to you, or my prayer for you has been, God, are they worn out? Are they divided? Are they needing strength? Are they needing direction? Are some of them far from you? I know that there's got to be someone in this room that you feel disconnected from God. I just want to plead for you. God loves you so much. 
God wants you to be connected with. He wants a meaningful relationship with you. And so I'm going to pray for you. Maybe your next step is salvation. If you are not a Christian, you can pray this morning, right now, today. These aren't magic words, but if you mean this in your heart, I want you to pray this. God, will you please forgive me of my sin? I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe that he's the only way to make me right with you. I believe that you sent him to live and then to suffer and die on a cross and that on the third day you rose him from, you raised him from the dead. Will you please forgive me of my sin and make me right with you? If you prayed that in here, if you mean those words, God promises he will save you. He will make you a new person, a new creation. And for some, some of you, you already are believers. What is your prayer today? What do you care about right now? Is it what's going on in our culture, in your life, in your family, with your job, with your health? Let's pray together. I want to pray, and whatever your prayer is, you pray your prayer. But let us all use this moment to be meaningful before God. And then the band's going to come up and lead us in, in a song of worship. Father, we want to take this time for you. Hear the cries of our hearts. Would you hear my confession? As you always do, I know you do. You don't deal with me according to my sins, and you don't repay me according to my iniquities. Would you forgive me of my sin? Let it not be a stumbling block in my life or a hindrance. You know what's going on in my life. Would you speak to me through your word? First and foremost, speak to me through your word. Would you be with our church family now as some of them pray to you heartfelt prayers? Holy Spirit, hear from us. Father, we love you because you first loved us. Would you hear this song of prayer to you? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace, I love you.